It has been quite a year, hasn't it? And uh, today it's over and tomorrow we start a new year. This past year at uh, New Life Church, we have been studying the book of Romans, which is all about good news. In fact, it starts out by saying, I'm not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone uh, who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, and because a just shall live by faith. And so it's all about the good news. And we were, we were studying the good news and talking about good news and from, from start to finish, from the, from the creation to the fall to the redemption to the restoration and sort of taking the big arc of the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we were doing that, we were all going home and reading our news feed on our computer or the newspaper, wherever you get your news, And you had good news on Sundays and bad news the rest of the week. And the bad news the rest of the week was it didn't seem like just normal bad news. To me, it didn't. I don't. Maybe it did to you. It's just oh, we had another day, another fire, another earthquake, you know, another hurricane, another threat from North Korea, another investigation about Russian meddling with the election. Another instance of the media against the president and the president against the media. Another shooting at a church. Another shooting at a mosque. Another van ramming into a crowd of uh, uh, spectators. Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer, and the list goes on. It didn't seem like a normal year to me in the news. And it made me think, how, how are we people of the good news in a world of bad news? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to believe good news in the face of bad news? What does it mean to, to, to go home or to go to my neighborhood or my friends or my coworkers and, and say or proclaim the good news? That Jesus is King in a world where it's full of bad news and it feels like everything is out of control. How does the good news fit with the bad news? And so as we begin to think about that and think about how Sunday fits with the rest of the week, it, it dawned on me that there are some pretty important questions that need to be asked. I'd love to get answers to all of my questions. Wouldn't it? Maybe that'd be super boring to live in a life where you had all the answers to all the questions, but I'd like to try it just for a little while. <laughs> and so we thought about what kind of questions really do we want answers for? And we ask you to ask your friends, you know, what kind of questions would they like answers to? And we got a, a variety of uh, questions back. And from those uh, picked, and I have to admit, synthesized a couple to come up with uh, a, a f- essentially a four-week series on uh, questions that we would love answers to in this world that we're going to call uh, 
simply uh, ask, living without all the answers. So over the next weeks, we're going to ask several questions. And it, it occurred to me that if we get the answers to these it still may not connect the bad news to the good news for us, but it would, it would help us live in a world full of bad news. And so this first Sunday, this first Sunday, I thought we would pick a, a, a question, actually, that no one gave us. I'm just going to admit that up front. Made this question up myself. Because I think there needs to be reason to ask the question. Precedent for asking the question. And so this morning's question is simply this. Is it okay to ask the question? Or should we just sort of button up and deal with it? And the reason I ask this is because some of you grew up in situations where it wasn't okay to ask questions. You would, you would maybe venture once, maybe twice to ask a question and you would get something to the effect of, because I said so, that's why. And you learn very, very early not to ask questions. Some of you grew up in a religious tradition that um, suppressed the, um, suppressed hard questions for fear that there might actually not be a good answer. And so, don't ask the questions. Just be religious and call that good. And so I think that it's worth stopping for a Sunday and asking the question, is it really okay to ask? The call to worship this morning, I don't know if you noticed it. Maybe, hopefully you noticed it. It was up on the board. If you weren't getting coffee, you probably noticed it. It said, how long, O Lord? Like four times it asked, how long, O Lord? The psalmist was asking God questions. Jesus on the cross quoted one of the psalms asking God the question, why have you forsaken me? If you ask questions of God, you won't be the first one. There is a way, I think, to ask questions of God that's not helpful in a way that is helpful. A way to ask questions of the world and of the news that's not helpful in a way that is, is helpful. In fact, I just read in my quiet time this morning in Malachi uh, where he says, Will you weary God by asking how long? See, I think you can ask in a way that, that is wearisome. But I think you can also ask in a way that's helpful. And so let's, let's take a look at uh, somebody who asks questions. His name is Habakkuk. He's a prophet. He wrote a book in your Bible. Uh, near the middle, in what we commonly refer to as the white pages of your Bible, where you don't go very much. One of the minor prophets, actually five books before the, uh, the New Testament. So if you find Matthew, go backwards until you find Habakkuk. It's only three chapters long. And he asks, God's que- asks God questions. 
He as a prophet challenges God. Starts off like this in Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall we cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? So this is an oracle of Habakkuk the prophet. Now Habakkuk is one of the only prophets that, that has a book of the Bible named after him that was actually called a prophet. Apparently it was his job to be a prophet. Uh, he made his livelihood as a prophet. Which meant that he would, he would hear from God and proclaim it to the people. He would challenge the, the people on behalf of God. That's what prophets did. But here in his little book, he challenges God on behalf of the people. Normally he would be asking the people questions from the Almighty God. But here in the book of Habakkuk, he asks God questions on behalf of a confused and hurting people. Habakkuk was prophesying in a time that makes our world and our news cycle seem benign. He was prophesying to, to people who were not uh, part of a world superpower. He was prophesying to people who had been in idolatry for hundreds of years where king after king after king had made a mess of their governance and of their relationship with God. So that God had already proclaimed His judgment on His people because they had broken covenant with Him. He was prophesying to the people in Jerusalem who had already seen their northern family members taken into captivity because of their idolatry. And now, the idolatry of Judah threatened their future. In fact, I suppose if there was a Jerusalem Post at the time, it would have had news stories on the headlines that would read, Chaldean army um, testing ballistic rocks. I don't know what they would be testing. Testing superpower arrows. Testing battering rams. There would have been all sorts of news about this Chaldean threat that was outside of Jerusalem. And so here... Think about it. It is Habakkuk's job to tell people what God says when the news is completely bad. I mean, there isn't good news there. There isn't good news about the crops. There isn't good news about the weather. There isn't good news about the international relations. There isn't even good news about sports. There's only bad news. And it's Habakkuk's job to be the prophet. Frankly, I wouldn't want that job. Because all he has to communicate is bad news. And so this is what he saw. The oracle of Habakkuk, 
the prophet. And he says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you and you will not save? It's his job to be a prophet. It's his job to represent God and God isn't listening. He's a professional God speaker. And God is not saving. Strikes me as a problem. It's a problem for him. It's a problem for the people. The news is bad. And yet he's trying to maintain that God is good. His next question is, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? See, do you have this question? Do you look, do you look at the news of the shootings or of the um, political situation or any of these sexual uh, accusations? And you say, God, why do you idly watch this? You're in heaven. Can't you? Won't you do something about this? You're not the first person to ask these questions. And Habakkuk asks God, why are you idly standing by? That seems to me to be very much our question. When there's good news, why are we talking about good news when there is so much Bad news. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And as he's asking these questions, God responds then. God says, I'm going to do something. I'm working in these headlines. He says, I'm going to do a new work that you wouldn't even recognize if I told you. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. I can just imagine Habakkuk saying, what? The Chaldeans. Uh, Don't you know how awful the Chaldeans are? Don't you know how wicked they are? Yeah, we're wicked. Judah's done a little idolatry. But they are nothing compared to the Chaldeans. What in the world are you thinking, God? Okay, he's not asking that question. But I, I imagine, well, imagine he is asking that question, just didn't make the paper. Okay. So that's his first round of questions, and God gives him that answer. Then in verse 12, he asks the second round of questions. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. And so he's, he's questioning... He's asking a question about the character of God and putting the character of God up against the events of the news, up against the wickedness of the Chaldeans. And he goes on to say, you are of pure eyes and can look on evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? How can this be? So, here you have 
Habakkuk the prophet, asking God the very questions that we would ask God were we to have audience. And he asks God the question, why do you idly look? Why are you not doing anything? See, to me, that's if I, if I look back at 2017, one of the things that I shake my head and I have to, I mean, if I was completely honest, I'd say, God, why are you not doing anything? Why are you not doing anything? At least, why are you not doing anything about this or that or I pick my favorite topic? Why do you remain silent? Isn't that interesting? That was his issue, that's our issue. And so, he continues his rant for a little while, and then at the, at the first part of chapter 2, he says, I will take my stand at my watchpost. I'll station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me. So you can almost see him folding his arms. Let's see. Okay. I'm just going to wait and see what he's going to say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. I'm expecting that God and I are going to have a little conversation about the way I see the world. Wonder what He's going to say. Okay, that's, that's really where He's at. I mean, this is, this is a justifiable complaint. This is a real, honest to goodness, heartfelt, I don't understand what you're doing here or why you're doing it, God. And it's His complaint. And, thankfully, God answers him. See, wouldn't it be nice if any time you complained, God answered you? He said, now let me tell you, this is what I'm doing. Okay? Here's your list of questions and complaints. Here's my list of answers and rationale. Wouldn't that be wonderful? No, it wouldn't be wonderful. See, I don't think Habakkuk liked what God had to say about what God was doing. I think he asked the question, I think he got the answer, and I don't think he liked it. And here is his answer, ultimately, to, to how, how is somebody m- more wicked attacking and being victorious over us who are less wicked? Why don't you somehow get it right? And then this is, this is God's answer. And He gives four answers in Habakkuk chapter 2. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Okay? Verse 9. Verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood, founds a city on iniquity. Verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver and there's no breath in it at all. So woe to those who are idolaters. What's God's answer to Habakkuk's complaint? I'm still going to judge Judah. I'm not, pulling, I'm not pulling that off the table. I'm still going to express my wrath against their sin. The army of the Chaldeans is still coming. The weapons of mass destruction are still aimed at Jerusalem. And not only that, they'll be triggered at Jerusalem. 
And they'll get theirs. Don't worry, they'll get theirs. Now just imagine if you're Habakkuk and you had appealed to God and you'd, you'd ask Him your, your hard question and you'd complained and you'd wanted Him to give you some kind of an explanation. And His explanation is, I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. I'm still going to judge sin. I'm still going to make um, Judah. I'm still going to condemn Judah because they've broken covenant with me. I'm not going to change my mind on this. That is not the answer he wanted. And it's not then very satisfactory, I don't imagine, for him to say, uh, for, for, for God to say, I'm going to, I'm going to give them theirs. They're going to, they're going to get judged eventually. That's not very satisfactory. I, I wouldn't think he'd feel that it was very satisfactory. It's satisfactory from God's point of view. In fact, God's going to settle accounts for all of the nations as is right. That's what God's telling him he's going to do. But it doesn't feel right, I don't think, to Habakkuk. And so when it doesn't feel right, when you ask the question and you get an answer that doesn't feel that good to you, what do you do? That's really where he's at. Notice God, God doesn't get after him for asking the question. God doesn't say, how dare you ask? Because I said so, that's why. God doesn't do any of that. In fact, God assures him that in the end, all will be made right. But in the short run... It's still going to be unpleasant. That's what that's how Habakkuk is playing out here. And in the process of asking and answering those questions, God gives uh, through Habakkuk four assurances to those who have questions that they don't get happy answers to. Okay, I want to give you those assurances from Habakkuk. The first one, the first assurance that you need that Habakkuk also needed is that God's character doesn't change. Notice in the very first uh, or second round of questions there in chapter 1, he says, you are of pure eyes that can see evil and cannot look at wrong. So God God has not somehow capitulated to evil. He is not on the side of people who do wrong. Even though they get away with it. Even though they seem to, to be getting rich or uh, winning victories or making money or having success, God is not on their side. He is, he is completely opposed and remains completely opposed to evil. Chapter 3, verse 2, it says, I've heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, I fear in the midst of the years, revive it in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's appealing to the character of God to say in wrath, remember mercy, that God is both wrathful against sin and merciful toward His people. And so God, He is is citing God's character in His prayers, in His questions, in His 
um, tension. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to trust God because God is merciful as well as full of wrath against sin. God is pure and holy as well as glorious and merciful. So the first assurance that we have as we ask questions is the character of God's not going to change. That's one of the reasons that it's a good idea for you in 2018 to be reading your Bible on a regular basis. Because in it, the character of God is revealed. So that you know who it is you're trusting, even though you can't make sense of the news, you can make sense of the good news. You can make sense of the character of God and who He is and what He's doing in this world. And so, the first assurance is God's character doesn't change. You have to be solid on who God is if you're going to have any hope in this world. That's the first assurance. The second assurance is this. God's purposes in the world remain the same. God's purposes in the world remain unchanged. What He is doing in this world today is the same as He was doing in the time of Jesus, and the same as He was doing in the time of Habakkuk, and the same as He was doing in the time of Abraham. God's purposes in this world are not changing. The Gospel is still good news. That God created the world and gave us an identity and a sense of who He is and built us to have relationship with God. He's still doing that. People rebelled against God and their world broke into pieces. And that's still the way that it is. And God throughout history has been bringing redemption through His people. And they rebelled against Him. That's where Habakkuk comes in uh, talking about what that judgment on their broken relationship with God will look like. And then God sends Jesus to be the Savior of the world. And it still stands in front of you this morning to trust in a Savior so that God might redeem you. God's purpose for the for the world as it as it as history plays out is still the same. There will be one day a new heaven, new earth where all is made right and the world is as it should be. See, God's purposes are remaining the same. See, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been thinking about these questions from the news. And the the, the one thing that keeps going through my mind is why is this a problem? Why is this a problem? Why do I expect a world in which there aren't fires and hurricanes and earthquakes? Why do I expect that? Why do I expect a world in which there isn't shooting? Why do I expect a world that's comfortable? Why do I expect sex to be satisfying and not horrific? Why? Do I expect that? Why not just suppose that I live in a random world where there is no God governing this world? And I live in that random world and random things happen and I shouldn't expect any different. Why do I expect different? I think it's because there is a God in heaven and His purpose from first to last informs My expectation. And there are echoes of Eden where all is at peace. 
where human beings are right with God in their normal uh, life. Where people are right with each other and they're intimate and they're unashamed. And I have this echo from Eden playing in the back of my mind all of the time. And I think it should be better than it is because one day it was. But you see, because the Bible also gives me the purpose of God through this world, I also know that one day it will be as it should be. And I still do look forward to that hope because God has purpose in this world. And so from first to last, the same tape kind of plays in my mind that this should be better than it is. And so as we ask the question, uh, we also have the assurance that God's purposes remain the same. Look at what it says in chapter 3, verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. God's purpose to redeem and to save is still there. Even when the news is bad and the Chaldeans are coming. God's purpose isn't changing. He's not saying, oh golly, those Chaldeans are tougher than me. I can't do anything about this. I'm sorry. I'm not saying that. No, He's still going out for the salvation of His people. His purpose for the good of His people and the glory of His name remains the same. From creation to consummation, the whole thing overflows with the glory of God and the good of His people. And we had uh, in chapter 3 the salvation of His people and here we have the glory of God. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. God's not changed just because the news is bad. Just because people's sin deserves judgment doesn't mean God is wrong or that He's changed His mind or that He can't handle the situation. No, He is still doing in the world the same things that He's done. I do, I do want to say one thing that is an important distinction here as we read an Old Testament prophet, Habakkuk. Okay, and we read about the salvation of your people, God's people. When you read your Old Testament and you read about God interacting with uh, His people, His His chosen people of Israel, who also happened to be a nation in the world of Israel. Okay. That's what he is doing. He is interacting with his people, who at that time represented a nationality. Okay. If you bring those promises forward to today, you bring the way that God interacts with his people forward into today, I just, just needs to be said, that those people are not America. The people of God are His church now. So as you're thinking about God saving His people, He is going to save His church. He may or may not save America. America, in God's view, 
is like Russia. It is like Brazil. It is like China. It is a national entity. It is not God's people. God's people are His church scattered throughout all the nations. And so you hear, you hear God interact with His people. You need to make sure that you hear His people and not your country. God went out for the salvation of His people. The salvation of His anointed. And the glory, um, the knowledge of His glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's His purpose in the world. And so, as God is accomplishing His purpose in the world, then you also need to be assured that He is sovereign and active in this world. So this is Habakkuk's complaint. This is the source of my insecurity as I read the bad news after hearing the good news on Sunday morning. Is God in charge? Is God hands-off or hands-on? Is God engaged or is God aloof? And Habakkuk assures us of what God is doing. In chapter 2, verse 20, he says, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. What a magnificent statement. That the Sovereign of the universe sits on His throne. He is not pacing. He is not worried. He is not out of control. There is no... Um, successful rival for His throne, the Lord is in His holy temple. This reminds us of the, the vision of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and His train filled the temple. And the cherubim circled and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's this glorious vision of God on the throne, in the temple, in charge of the world. God is sovereign. Habakkuk's view of God is that God is still in charge even when it looks like He's not. That God is still reigning and ruling when it looks like people are out of control. And so, the first part of this assurance is that God is sovereign. God is King. Let all the earth keep silent before Him. Let let Judah, let the Chaldeans, let us keep silence before Him. And then notice, as you look through chapter 3, you have this fabulous um, prayer of Habakkuk's where he is talking to God about God being active in the world. So this, this is remarkable to me. You strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. You march through the earth in fury. You thresh the nations in anger. And I left a lot, of, I left a lot out. Though all of chapter 3 is 
God is doing this. God is active. God is marching throughout the world. God is raising up kingdoms and bringing them down. God is working in this world. Remember his complaint? It looks like God's not. But God is. God is sovereign and active in this world. See, the thing is, until Habakkuk received this oracle, he didn't know why, really, the Chaldeans were looking so strong. He didn't know what God was going to do there. And then, when they were looking strong, he didn't know, he didn't know that ultimately God would bring them down. It just looked like a newspaper. It just looked like bad news. And here now, as he's interacted with God about this, he realizes God is doing something in this world. God is sovereign and active. And then, the fourth assurance has to do with our place in all of this. If God is sovereign and active, if His purpose is the same, His character is the same, then what does that leave for you and for me? Our place is to trust Him. Ours is a life of faith. You see, I began by quoting from Romans, by saying we're talking about good news in the book of Romans as a church. We want to be people of good news, live a life of good news. And Romans is built on Habakkuk. The New Testament is built on Habakkuk. He says, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it's not a... Uh, it is not upright within him, but speaking of this being of the Chaldeans, he says, "But the righteous shall live by his faith." It's just quoted in Romans one seventeen. If God's character doesn't change, if His purposes don't change, if He's sovereign and active in this world, then guess what? That leaves you to trust Him. That's what that means. And see, that's what's different about you than, than about those outside of here. It's not that you're better than them. It's not that you're worse than them. The only thing that's different is that you have a God and they don't. You have somebody you can trust and they don't. And so the question for you is, will you trust Him? When you don't understand the bad news. When you ask the questions about the bad news, will you trust Him? As you ask the question. Not trust them and shut up. Not trust them and don't ask. It's ask the question, wait for his answer, and then trust him. See, that's that's the really hard part, isn't it? Because the righteous will live by their faith. You will live by faith. You're not going to live by religion. You're going to live by being a good person in 2018, by keeping a New Year's resolution. You're going to live by faith. That's what it means to follow God, to live by faith. It's another reason you have to know what God says so that you can trust it. So you can trust Him. The righteous will live by faith. Our place is to trust a God who is sovereign and active 
who remains unchanged, whose purposes are clear and revealed in the Scripture. Now that, that's just easier said than done, isn't it? I have to say. It's easier said than done. But the reality is, that's what it always comes down to. Okay? How are you going to take care of your sins? How are you going to have everlasting life? How are you going to have hope for heaven? How are you, any of that happen? It only happens by grace through faith, which is all that Habakkuk is presenting to us as far as dealing with the news. We deal with the news the same way we deal with eternity. We trust God with it. And so, as you ask these questions, and you do or you don't get answers, and you do or don't like the answers, you're going to have to trust God. See, that's, that's where Habakkuk is. I mean, it just mar- I just marvel that it's in the Bible here. A prophet of God asks God questions. He gets, an, he gets answers he doesn't like. And he recommits himself to trusting God anyway. See, that's the beauty of what we're talking about here. I'm not saying you need to ask the questions and get a satisfactory answer. Or that somehow God has to please you with His answer. Or that God owes you an explanation even. I'm simply saying that whether you get an answer you like or not, whether you get an answer that takes away the threat or not, then God invites you to trust Him. That's really what it comes down to. And nobody says it any better than Habakkuk. Look at the last verses of the book. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Let me just say, does it sound like he's gotten good news? No, it doesn't, does it? Sounds like it's awful. Like it's impending disaster any moment. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. (laughs) I mean, I just shake my head. So, he's not looking forward to what's about to happen, the invading us part. He's looking forward to God making that right one day, the day after. That day, indeterminate day, when God will bring trouble on those people who invade us. He's trusting that what God says about the way everything works out is good. And then he goes on to say, and this is as as beautiful as anything you'll find in the whole Bible, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Okay. Why would he reference those things? Because of the promise of God. God was bringing the people into a land flowing with milk and honey. That the all of wisdom literature says those who are upright the Lord will bless. 
All of these things represent the blessing of God. And he says, if there is no blessing, then what? Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He says, you know what? That isn't the last chapter. Those empty stalls, that bare vine, that trouble, that invading Chaldean, that is not the last chapter. If it were the last chapter, I wouldn't rejoice. But instead, I am going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. I am going to delight in God. And then he says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. He makes me secure in places where I shouldn't be secure, basically. He keeps me stable in a world that is unstable. Where other people cannot find footing, the Lord enables me to find footing. See, that's the hope that Habakkuk gives us for 2018. That's the hope that he gives us when we have questions that we don't like the answers to. He says, we still, in spite of the the, the bad news, we still have a good God who will make us stable. God, the Lord is my strength. He gives me a place to stand and makes me secure. See, that's the hope. That's the hope we have. Our hope is not that the news is all of a sudden going to turn around in 2018. (laughs) I've got news for you. It's not. It's going to be more of the same. But God is at work in this world. He is sovereign over it. His character and His purposes are unchanged. And He will make you secure. And so the invitation, again, this morning, is will you trust Him? Will you come to Him in faith and say, I don't understand. I still have questions. But God, I will trust You. Even when I can't see any fruit of what I'm talking about, what You said You would do, God, I'm still going to trust You though the vines are bare and the stalls are empty. And You will be my strength. And You will give me a place to stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do trust that You are on the throne. That You are at work in this world. We don't understand how. But God, would You grant us faith to trust You where we can't see. Father, would You give us boldness to come before Your throne to ask questions and to find grace to help us in time of need. Father, I just pray for each person here. Some of us have questions about the news. Some of us have personal news that uh, is hurtful or painful. And God, we just bring all of that to You and we ask all of the questions from the bottom of our heart. And yet, God, we, we do trust You. And Father, some of us have just a thread of trust. Just a little bit. So, Lord, we believe, would You help our unbelief? 
God, would you help us to stand like deer on the mountaintops and to trust you. Would you be our strength, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.